0: Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace.
1: Hi, my name is Courtney Chambers, and I'm an attorney in Littler's San Francisco office. I work with clients on workplace discrimination and harassment issues, as well as defend such lawsuits on their behalf on an individual and class-wide basis. This is the second episode in a short podcast series discussing protections under Title VII. In our first episode, we reviewed Bostock versus Clayton County, the recent U.S. Supreme Court decision recognizing protections for gay, lesbian, and transgender individuals under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act.
2: And hi, my name is Julie Stockton. I'm also an attorney in Littler's San Francisco office, and I also have an active litigation practice, which includes defending employers in hostile work environment, harassment, and discrimination cases. And then we have a special guest joining us today. It's Littler shareholder, Ann Sanchez-Laware, and I'll let her go ahead and introduce herself.
0: Hi, I'm happy to join you both. I'm an employee benefits shareholder in Littler San Jose office, and I provide advice and counsel to our clients on all things benefits related, with a particular focus on health and welfare plan compliance and executive compensation matters. Thank you all for joining us to
1: address gender identity and sexual orientation issues in the workplace. In this episode, Anne will discuss with us the impact of Bostack on employer-sponsored health and welfare plan compliance. But before we jump in, Julie is going to give us a quick update on how the Bostack decision has been impacting health care benefits for the LGBTQA employees.
2: Thanks, Courtney. So since the Bostack decision on August 17th, a federal judge issued a stay which effectively blocked the Department of Health and Human Services from rolling back Non discrimination protections for LGBTQA individuals that were receiving certain healthcare services. So, to provide some background, previously the HHS issued regulations under Section 1557 of the ACA in 2016, prohibiting healthcare providers that receive federal funding from discriminating on the basis of gender identity, gender expression, among other protections. And then in June this year, just days after the Bostock ruling, HHS finalized new regulations that were reversing those protections that had been issued in 2016. But the federal court issued a stay delaying the changes from going into effect and explained that, quoting, when the Supreme Court announces a major decision, it seems a sensible thing to pause and reflect on the decision's impact, end quote. And so this order is among the first of the court actions applying Bostock beyond the workplace to protect LGBTQA individuals. So stepping back and getting into the topic for today's podcast, in light of the Bostock decision and in these recent events with HHS, Anne, how is it relevant to employer-sponsored benefits?
0: Thanks, Julie. The conditions and privilege of employment as defined under Title VII include clearly compensation and employee benefits. ERISA is the law that governs most employee benefit plans and includes an incredibly big expansive preemption of other laws, including state laws and certain federal laws, as they relate to benefit plans. But ERISA specifically provides that it does not preempt Title VII. Since ERISA passed in 1974, the courts have consistently applied Title VII protections to employee benefit plans as a condition and privilege of employment. There is one other area that ERISA does not preempt, and that's the state regulation of insurance. And this means some states, like California, have used their regulatory authority to prohibit insurance companies from issuing policies that discriminate in coverage on the basis of gender identification and sexual orientation. Other states have not instituted such protections, and in fact, California first prohibited sexual orientation discrimination in health insurance way back in 1991 and has required fully insured health plans to provide coverage for all medically necessary healthcare procedures for transgender people that are otherwise covered for cisgender people. Bostock's holding that gender identity and sexual orientation are included in the definition of sex for protection under Title 7 prohibits all employer-sponsored health plans, whether fully insured now or self-insured, from providing disparate coverage for health care services related to gender and sexual orientation. This includes gender affirmation surgery, treatment of gender dysphoria, and other related health care services.
1: Great. So, Anne, what are some recommendations for employers to ensure that their
0: benefit offerings are legally compliant? Well, we've seen this coming, so hopefully most employers have been sort of inching their way to these coverages, but if they haven't, they should be reviewing their health plans to make sure that they have not excluded gender affirmation surgery, treatment for gender dysphoria, prescription drug coverage for hormone and transition drugs, and mental health coverage, including employee assistance programs for adequate LGBTQ plus support. Employers should talk to their plan's claims administrator regarding recently denied claims related to gender affirmation surgery and gender dysphoria and related claims to determine if those should now be approved if they were denied. Employers should also review enrollment and claim forms for potential sex discrimination concerns related to sexual orientation discrimination and gender identity discrimination. For example, employers should not limit gender identification on enrollment forms to just male or female. Employers should also talk to their brokers about their network's access to providers, making sure that they're experienced with and supportive of LGBTQA healthcare concerns. Employers should review also their other plans, their short-term disability plans, and their supplemental disability plans to make sure that coverage includes temporary disability due to gender affirmation surgery, or at least make sure it's not excluded from coverage. One area to also look at is the plan's coverage of family planning benefits. You want to make sure that they're available to all eligible employees, and that includes adoption assistance, foster care, reproductive technology assistance, review pregnancy prevention coverage. Are voluntary vasectomies and tubal ligation procedures equally covered? Does the plan cover voluntary abortions? And a full range of birth control alternatives for both men and women and gender-neutral individuals. Lastly, employers should review their eligibility provisions regarding same-sex spouse and same-sex domestic partners. Are employers requiring proof of marriage or domestic partnerships consistently for all employees, or are same-sex couples treated differently? Wow, that's
1: great. Thank you, Anne. And are there any other recommendations for other workplace policies
0: that you would suggest? Sure, I know that was a long list, but This covers a whole bunch of different areas, so you want to make sure that, you know, as we talked about your disability plans, but make sure the company leave policies and workplace accommodations are available to everyone on as equal basis as possible. For example, employers should allow breaks at reasonable times for trans individuals to take required hormone or related medications.
1: And what else should employers be thinking about with respect to the mechanics of implementing or expanding coverage for their LGBTQ-related um, healthcare
0: services? Well, we talked about reaching out to the plan's claims administrators and brokers regarding coverage and access to providers, but employers should also look at the financial impact of this you now-expanded now coverage requirements. Employers should review past claims and ask their brokers for cost projections and availability of specialized case management services centers of excellence or other specialty programs that may be available for coverage transgender health care issues another suggestion is to look at the plan's cost-sharing amounts to make sure that even if lgbtq related services are covered that they have the same cost-sharing structure as other benefits employers should also review their service provider agreements for standard of care provisions and requirements to follow the plan documents to make sure that the plan is being implemented in accordance with this new expanded coverage. And absolutely make sure that all plan amendments regarding new and expanded covered services are provided to the plan's stop-loss provider and that the stop-loss provider actually confirms coverage.
2: Wow, Anne, this seems like there are a lot of considerations that an employer who hasn't been thinking about these types of issues with regards to their benefits and their policies that there's a lot that they need to begin to consider. As you were explaining earlier, California-based employers have probably begun to consider and are considering a lot of these different issues. But as Bostock applies across the nation and in many states over half of the country, there weren't previously any types of protections in place for uh, trans and gender nonconforming individuals. What would you say for an employer who is listening to this podcast and who is one of those states who now has to bring their policies in alignment with Bostock and is feeling perhaps overwhelmed at the um, different considerations that you've outlined, what would you say they should prioritize as a good place to start?
0: I would start first with reviewing the plan document and making sure that they are including coverage and the coverage levels are the same for all individuals under the plan. And I would talk to their brokers to make sure that the cost sharing amounts are the same and that they have included those expanded coverages in future predictions and calculations regarding the benefits under the plan. Oh, That's great. where it would start.
2: Thanks for outlining sort of a first step. It's always good to sort of know where to first focus right. efforts and bringing all of the different related plans and related policies into compliance?
0: Self-insured health plans have typically not covered gender affirmation surgery or gender dysphoria treatment, mainly because it's really expensive. And now they're going to have to be covering these procedures and this, this treatment. So. It's important that, again, they talk to their brokers and their stop-loss providers to make sure that they're budgeting appropriately and looking at ways to save costs in other areas as well.
2: Yeah, that's great. And I would just add that employers shouldn't assume whether or not they apply to their workforce and should take the first steps that you've outlined during the podcast today to begin to bring their plans into compliance rather than assuming whether or not they think those services would be utilized by their employees.
0: I agree. Sometimes employers don't know necessarily about the population of employees until they actually get the claims. Employees don't necessarily share all of their healthcare concerns with their coworkers. And so this coverage needs to be available. But employees also need to remember that under HIPAA, their protected health information stays private. Employers are not allowed to use plan information, claims information, doctor information that is within the plan for employment purposes. So you can't go and say, oh, wait, who's been doing what? And why is this so expensive? I wonder who that is. That's all protected health information. So as employers may not know, if this is appropriate for their population, it should still be included, because they may not know.
2: Well, that's great. Those are really great points. And thank you so much for taking the time to participate in this podcast with us and help go through all of these different issues we really appreciate it
1: great well thank you ann and julie that was very insightful and I, I hope all of our listeners have enjoyed this episode of the podcast as always please feel free to reach out to one of us at podcast at or individually at our emails which you can find on our firm's website If you have any questions about this episode or if you would like to discuss your individual situations with us, thanks again for listening and we will be back soon.
0: The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit Littler.com podcasts.